Greetings, dear listener, and welcome to Natural 20-somethings, an audio program detailing and discussing the danger, depth, difficulties, diversions, dice, decadence, and drama of D&D. We're ever so pleased you're here. and welcome to Natural 20-somethings. I am Laurel. And I'm Olivia. Uh, today we wanted to talk about something that we have mentioned <laughs> many, many times in the past, uh, which is our emotional attachment to D&D, uh, more specifically our characters and the things that have happened to them. <laughs> It's a very, it's a deep, deep well. Uh, we wanted to explore this a little deeper uh, than we have, you know, in the offhanded mentions of, of yonder episodes and see if we can figure out why we form these attachments and what that ultimately means, quote unquote. Uh, the following comes from an article about emotional attachment from Very Well Mind. So get ready for some academic language. Here we go. Emotional attachment is the sense of connection and affection you may feel for people you are close to. It is a basic human need. Apart from people, it's also possible to be attached to animals, objects, places, habits, beliefs, dates, and memories. So, to, to start us off, how does it come about that we get attached to our D&D characters, do you think? What, what is it, do you think, that bonds us to these people? That are not real. Uh, I think it's because we live with them. You know, I, I, the average D&D game is what, like three, four hours? Every session is about three or four hours. And so at a minimum, you're going to be spending a lot of quality time with this person that you've created and that you inhabit. And I think, especially for us, we're big role players. Like, even when I'm not speaking, I am sort of living in character in some ways. And I think just having that exposure, that time to a fictional character, but one that you actually live in and make decisions for ultimately, I think that that creates such an interesting bond because like there's the sense of separation, right? You're like, that's not me. This is my character, but it is you. And I think that's why we get attached because it's, it's some part of you that you are bringing forth or evoking or attempting to inhabit. And it's, it's empathy in its purest form and it's empathy with yourself. Mm-hmm. I like that. That's a very um the the empathy angle i think is is interesting for me i think the thing that resonated with me the most about what you said is the the inhabiting of this person like as as we have mentioned in the past i'm a theater kid <laughs> like i i'm deep in it i'm deep in it i'm irredeemable you can't get me back from the theater pit but there's something different about having a character that is wholly your own like it's not someone else's character in someone else's story it, with words that they wrote for you to say it's your character it's your story and you make up everything they say and every time they react and I think I think what you said about like you inhabit them you know even when you're not actively the one speaking I do find myself listening in character and like reacting in character and like making a face in character like I'm I'm into it very deeply almost at all times it's interesting because I'm not all the time I, I think I think this comes back to you I I think you have a very actor forward approach to I do your characters and I feel like I have a very writer forward uh, approach where I'm just like there's like half my brain that is like going at all times where it's just like okay like this is my character this is what they do like blah 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 and then the other half is sort of what you're saying where you just feel it like there's no rhyme or reason like sometimes I'm just like I don't know why but my character acts like this 
and it feels right. Yeah, absolutely. I think too, like sharing successes and failures with anyone, like is a way that you bond with them. Like there is, you know, you watch TV and you have favorite characters or favorite shows and like you like to see them succeed and you get involved in their emotions when they fail. And I think being the person that is like directly the vehicle for experiencing those emotions brings it that much closer and makes it that much more intense. The stakes feel more real. Absolutely they do. Yeah, I really I really vibe with that successes and failures thing. And I think it actually I want to mention too that I think it helps that we're in a team environment too. Even if you're playing with, you know, just three people where it's two players and a DM, having somebody else who agrees to play pretend with you makes it that much more real yeah i i i love play pretend (laughs) i love play pretend so much like looking back on my childhood that's almost exclusively what i did like i did not play sports with my friends i did not play games with my friends like i i play pretend with my friends for far longer than was socially acceptable and that's what DD is for me is this like socially sanctioned play pretend where it's okay for me to be someone else at the table and like make an absolute fool out of myself and I just I love getting lost in these characters and the events that happen to them like I I love the escape that fantasy in general provides and D&D is like heroin in terms of that like yeah it it is like straight into the vein like I I can't I can't get enough of it it is so much fun for me and uh, that's that's it right that's the thing that we're trying to just um, dissect and pull apart and you know analyze but we're never gonna do it because that's that's D. that's the allure that's the pull but yeah play pretend is interesting it's interesting i know i've talked to you specifically about this but i don't know if i've talked about this on the podcast i can't remember but there was a very specific moment in time when i remember i couldn't play pretend anymore like it was just i could not suspend my disbelief at all i think i must have been like six years old and i like i was trying to play with my brothers and i was like i like i can't do this for some reason i couldn't inhabit a different world again and I've always found escapism through reading I've always been a huge reader and I think what I love about D&D is it brought that back for me like I can play pretend again and feel fully immersed in it yeah I think the immersiveness of it really is a huge factor because I I never really lost my play pretend I hit it like I I, I managed to sort of like skirt around the edges of <laughs> playing pretend uh until I found acting and then that became my outlet for that but I there was a point in time when I also lost the like that that kid ability that you have to be like these are my Barbies and I am their butler and this is their house and their house looks like this and to really feel that you know to to put to tape a bunch of crappy Mardi Gras necklaces up against like a a coffee table and be like this is their very fancy hippie bead door like (laughs) It's not and that looks like garbage but like to really truly believe that 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 went away for me but like D brings that back because it's like I, I can just sit there and be like yeah there's a dragon in front of me absolutely that's real like I I can accept it in a way that I think kind of vibes with being a writer or being an actor or just like watching tv like being a consumer yes. of media it it slots nicely into that yeah no that is exactly what I was gonna bring up 
up where it feels like there's this like it's almost like a stepping stone or training wheels or whatever you want to call it that's like this feels enough like I'm watching Lord of the Rings that I can like agree with myself to put aside the idea that we're just sitting around rolling a bunch of dice but I think to bring it back to emotionality I think part of why it works so well is that we almost trick ourselves into agreeing to play pretend fully and completely again and it it helps at least for me like you go into it and you're like there are rules to this we can move forward with this like I was very much like into the numbers initially and I was like role playing is gonna be awkward and weird I'm not gonna like it and (laughs) fully it's your fault I love role play it's my favorite part yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh dear oops all role play yeah yeah (laughs) that's what your campaigns are oops all role play (laughs) Oh my god. Absolutely. But like that like I needed that stepping stone. I needed that little bit like that little push, you know, especially because I never had confidence in my own characters as a writer. I was always very plot focused, not character focused. And I think that was an insecurity for me going into D&D. But that has since gone away because I'm like, oh, I just have to be responsible for me and only me and therefore my character and only my character. And, and it works very well. Why why do we, like, I, I think I say we in the sense of, like, you and me specifically, but also if we can manage to apply this to a broader yeah. <laughs> a group of people, that would be interesting. But, like, why do we welcome or allow ourselves to form attachments like this to this game and these, you know, fictional people? I think it's a combination of a lot of things. I think we've brought this up before. It's a safe space to explore things that we may not want to explore about ourselves, like a need for violence or uh, upsetting emotional attachments to different things that we don't really want to directly confront. And so there's the sort of like, you know, you and I jokingly call it group therapy. Like (laughs) (laughs) there's that aspect to it. But I also think that just like we root for characters, it feels good to root for ourselves and I think allowing ourselves to be main characters to inhabit stories that we love and know very well and are familiar with like we all know the broad strokes of a good fantasy story and at least the people we play with we're like yeah this will be a fun thing for us to do here we enter into that unspoken contract of like you're going to deliver a good fantasy story and here's what I expect out of it and I think that there's something really satisfying about getting that wish fulfillment that sort of like hey like the good guys do win in this and that's exciting but they don't always win in the way that you expect which I think is what makes it interesting that like sort of unexpected reaction there's an unpredictability to it that I think directly evokes emotional attachment Mm, yeah I, I like the unpredictability angle for sure and I think too like along with wish fulfillment there is that sense of escapism for me specifically like I, I don't like reality I don't care for it I <laughs> I choose to divorce myself from it most of the time and so having a place to to go to like hang out with people and and you know be productive ostensibly like it feels productive to me it feels like wow we got so much done today you know we we fixed this person's house and we went over here (laughs) and traveled a bunch and got to know each other and like fought some goblins and righted a wrong like that it's rewarding and so I think that like I I have a very attachment heavy personality anyways and mostly to fictional things 
just like I, I said the other day <laughs> something about how I'm really glad that the word simp exists because I absolutely <laughs> am one. <laughs> exactly what i'm getting at but like in a way like i am a simp for D and my <laughs> own characters like i it it allows me to like engage with this part of myself that's like highly emotional and um very involved and like devoted and just like reactive in a way that i am not in my real life like i am a very i am the peacekeeper i am even killed i am like not unflappable like you can definitely bother me and you'll know but i i'm a very sort of smooth sailor you always know what you're gonna get with me whereas in D, it's like i can like be angry and laugh and scream and cry and just let all of that out and i think that that's particularly for me like really hooks me in and like just my heart just is open to like attach yourself to me I'll take it yeah I think too we shouldn't discount like hearing you say all of that it's really interesting because yes there's this like individual aspect of it and I think that's sort of the angle that we're taking here like why as individuals do we get attached here but I think there's something to be said for the fact that this is a social activity I, I know you and I both really get a lot of our social interaction from D&D especially during the pandemic like that is such a wonderful way to spend a few hours with friends and feel like there's like a it, it's like a little like ice like a, a built-in icebreaker right where you know what you're doing uh you have a prompt right like this is what you're doing this is where you're going and you get to hang out with friends and I think having that social aspect really does ramp up the emotionality for me where I'm just like wow like I have my own little personal fandom and I could talk to people about this like this is great like all of these characters mean so much like I'm sitting there and like the other day I was like I really want to put together mini playlists for all the characters characters in this one campaign because I have an idea of what I think they'd listen to and it's hilarious. <laughs> and and like there's something so special about being able to send like a character playlist or a stupid meme with like your characters like names or faces slopped over it. Like that there's a sense of camaraderie and community there that I think is really special. Which I kind of brings me to to this final question of like what does allowing this attachment to form ultimately do for us or to us either way? Big question. That's what we're here for is the big questions I like this question of what does it do to us because I yes there's this aspect of like what does it do for us and again to bring back group therapy but like and I think we've talked about that but I think it might be interesting to talk about what it does to us I mean I like driving to work the other day I almost started crying because I was thinking about a character like I (laughs) You know, I get so attached and it's deeper than a lot of my attachment to fictional characters, I think. And I think it becomes deeper because, you know, I'm not relying on somebody else. Like you said earlier, you know, this is yours. You own this character. This is you, your reaction. And so like, 
like everything you think of is something that this character could do or be or you know change into there's that endless possibility to it and I think that's almost dangerous in some ways oh absolutely that's what I was gonna say Mm -hmm. (laughs) like I I I I don't think I can like look into the camera all uh, I'm on the office and like put my hand on my heart and swear on god like this is an okay thing for me to do in my life (laughs) it's not like I my attachment to D&D I don't think is 100% healthy like I think I think that it is I I have formed a codependent relationship with D&D like for me in particular like it it has become my main form of social interaction like that's where I see my friends and my friends are the people that I play D&D with like I rely on D&D in a lot of ways to fulfill a very basic like Maslow's hierarchy of needs need for me and when things cancel or like people aren't available or we can't schedule a game it's like genuinely detrimental to my mental health because I'm like now I can't see my friends like it it really it does not do good things to me it is interesting too because like my whole life got dislodged and the only constant other than my wonderful family that I absolutely adore and will forever be grateful to <laughs> Um, is D&D. Like, I was able to hold on to that through a frankly traumatic period in my life that I'm still trying to work through and it's such a wonderful safe space but also I I don't think I experience it to the degree that you do this sort of like canceled plans disappointment but I notice when there's a week where we don't play much D&D like I become a grumpy anxious mess and it's because I'm like oh like I don't really have friends where I'm at right now a lot of my peers are you know across the country as I think a lot of people our age experience like everyone is kind of scattered to the winds mm-hmm. and DD is such a wonderful way to you know forge that connection like I had I was able to reconnect with one of my best friends from high school who has remained one of my best friends for you know over a decade now but we've really strengthened that over the years because of D&D because we've had that and I think that's a positive definitely but I also yeah again if I don't play D&D multiple times a week I am a grumpy fucking mess (laughs) (laughs) it's it's an addiction it's like having a withdrawal from it and it and like I I can't in good conscience be like yeah this is this has been really healthy for me I think in some ways it has because like I've I've needed that human connection and, and I've needed to feel productive and like I'm in control and I think that there is a a fine line that I probably need to walk back a bit between like my real life and D&D where like I I've just relinquished any control or like sense of you know forward momentum in my real life because I can get that from D&D but in another sense it's kind of like you know my life philosophy now kind of reflects that where it's like I don't I don't have to be productive you know like I don't owe anybody anything so why don't I just live my life the best I can and and call it good you know and I'll save the world (laughs) in this fictional world where I actually can do that there's something very addictive and rewarding about that I I I agree and you know I I think I think the line you can draw and something that I think is a good measuring stick is like will I sacrifice important parts of my life like if an opportunity landed in your lap would you take it if it meant that you couldn't play D&D anymore and if the answer is you know no maybe reassess yeah I should probably reassess Ah! (laughs) that's a real thought I have had oh my god (laughs) yeah it's it's bad We're getting we're getting very deep into the mire of um, my mental issues, but there you go. Vulner- vulnerability. <laughs>
I mean, I've gotten like in real life angry at people for, you know, moving and being like, hey, like I can't really play D&D. And I'm like, Olivia, walk it back. Like walk it back. Maybe maybe this has been a good uh, episode for yeah. us to examine <laughs> some of our personal mm-hmm. issues. <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 you know. I think it's a matter of scale. I think I think you have to figure out what scale you want to be. Like having an emotional attachment to D&D as a game, I don't think is the right way to go about it. But I think having an emotional attachment to your characters and to the people you play with is great. And for many of us, it's a survival technique. You know, just like I think for certain situations, things like anxiety and depression are a survival technique. There are ways in which you can cope or use that. Um, but it's a matter of knowing when's too much. I agree. I think I think we should end on a positive note. But I, I, I think I want to add another question to this list. Go for it. Similar to the one before, but what, and you don't have to get into specifics, but what has D&D given you demonstrably in real life for you, for your emotionality? Like, how do you move through, through the world in a different way now because of D&D? That's a, that, that's a great question. I think for, and I don't, I, I will not say that this is a universal experience by any means, but like I, without, you know, uh, getting into the 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 nitty gritty details uh, of why all of this is the case um had a very hard time expressing and engaging with emotion like I just fully did not allow that to happen um and D&D I really got into D&D at a time when I was also trying to re-engage with that in myself and trying to allow myself to be emotional and like I this is this is a funny thing to say but like I am happy when I watch or see or experience something that like makes me cry because that's not something that I had and I like D&D is not the singular thing that led me to that but it was a space where I could cry or like get emotional and allow myself to feel that where it's like these aren't my emotions but they are there and now I know what they feel like and so when I do have them I can allow them to exist and to feel them and then to like let them go if need be and then every every time I'm like oh that that little sad video of that like you know heartwarming thing of the dog reuniting with its soldier <laughs> like that if I cry at that I'm like good job Laurel like, which is such a funny thing but like that's an achievement for me and and D&D was a a very healthy safe transitional space for me to go from wanting to feel that to feeling that in a place that it wasn't fully my emotions to being able to feel my emotions now thank you for sharing that I'll I'll share one of my own too I think for me what it's done is I feel so much more settled in myself as a person um I make a bajillion different characters and like there's a level of confidence that I have now because I can you know I know that I can inhabit characters or traits or things that I want out of my life I can inhabit those and make those happen in certain very tangible ways and like you know it could be something as simple as like I'm working out and I'm like I need to channel my fighter you know like (laughs) um or something as deep as like hey my character went through this particular kind of trauma that you know eerily prophesized something that happened in my life but like something that like I'm like she survived it I can too and it's like it's one of those things where it's like I made these characters so I know I have the strength to push through all of this yeah I I I truly do believe that every character is is a little part of yourself in some way you give a little bit of your soul up there's a lot that it does for us there's a lot that it does to us and I think learning moderation (laughs) 
I think is the key here. Absolutely. I think it's been it's a it's a it's a very healthy discussion to have and something to think about. You know, like what is your attachment to D and D? Is it healthy? What do you need to do to make it so? Exactly. Life advice. Take it. <laughs> That's we're great for that. Yeah. <laughs> of abilities more overpowered than divine smite. It's Witch's Homebrew. Okay, so for Witch's Homebrew today, we'll be looking at a very fun playable race called the... Why did you give me this? I can't pronounce this. Cerberus? I can, but my brain short circuits every time because I'm fucking (laughs) Greek and my brain goes Kerberus. Well, you can call it a Kerberus if you want to. No, I can't because that sounds dumb. (laughs) It does sound dumb. Also, how about we do this? Every time you need to say half Cerberus, I'll just I'll say it for you. Okay, sounds good. So we'll be looking at a playable race called the half Cerberus. Thank you. <laughs> I this is the Cerberus. dumbest bit ever. <laughs> Embrace it. Uh, which we which we found on the D and D wiki, and I say we, I mean Laurel. Laurel does all the research. <laughs> I enjoy it. Yep. And so here are some highlights from the description that Laurel picked for me to read. And I have never read these yet. So this will be an experience for us all. I'm, I'm, I'm buckled in. You need to start. Half Cerberi. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> are humanoids with three heads. Each head is like that of a canine. In this way, they are a dog-headed person. Why is this written like this? <laughs> I'm sorry, I need to pause a moment. Why the fuck was this written like I don't know why it was written like this. I did these are selections. Like I don't okay. know that all of these sentences appeared exactly as they appear here, but it was written like that. This feels like that that scene from Emperor's New Groove where he's like, Cusco's poison. The poison for Cusco. <laughs> the poison I was supposed to give to Cusco. Cusco's poison. That poison. Anyway. Um in this way they are a dog headed person. Each of their canine heads share one mind and speak at the same time as though in sync. Half Cerberi. Are created from the very thoughts of the monstrous three-headed dogs of the underworld. It is said that when an underworld Cerberi dreams of becoming a human, a half Cerberi, thank you, is born, these dreams take humanoid form in the material plane. So, that's so weird. It's delightfully weird. Okay. Born with regular human heads and grow extra that are dogs. When they turn 10? And they become more dog-like. So, like, you start turning into a dog, and then you grow extra heads, and then as you continue to age, your head your and your extra heads become more and more dog-like until you're just a dog. That's a horrible metaphor for puberty. <laughs> That's awful. I like it. Oh, interesting. They also occasionally go on journeys to find the Cerberi who dreamt them up. See, I said it right. You did it. I did. Um... So uh, we'll put a link to the race in the description um, so you can check it out for yourself. But um, first impressions, Laurel. I, I think this kicks ass. I think it's really fun. <laughs> I I think the thing about it is it's like, oh, I have Cerberus. Cool. And then as I read it, it just got weirder and weirder and like took me down this like strange path of they're dreamed up by, by Cerberi as they sleep in the night. And then they their dreams take human. Like, what is that? why i love it i think it is so bizarre and it just like speaks to this like somebody had an idea and they just really (laughs) wanted to bring it to light and i think it's delightful i don't know who decided 
decided, you know what I want to play is a three-headed dog person, but they made it happen, and I think it's great. And it ended up on the D&D wiki, so, like, somebody did something. And it's it's very well balanced, and, like, you could legit just play this race. Like, you could implement this into almost any game, and it would be completely fair. <laughs> okay, so for a rundown, your ASI, you get two to strength and one to con, which makes sense. Basically, everything else, you get dark vision. You have an unarmed ability called Strong Jaw, which is, you know, like a lot of the other ones. This is very well balanced. Jeez. I know. It's great. You get, you count as one side's larger for carrying capacity, blah, 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 blah. Oh, that's so cool. You can speak through any of the heads and see through their eyes. Like you can choose which head you go through. That's kind of fun. Huh. You have advantage on saving throws against being blinded. Makes sense. <laughs> I just think like there's a lot of really fun flavor in the abilities that the the race has that like make sense but feel fair and like are absolutely usable. Like it it does not it is such a bizarre creature that I don't know who loved it enough to give it these like this amazing stat block, but like it's it's good. It's very well done. Yeah, that's fun. I like that a lot. There's a lot of strengths to it. And and I think too, like it's it's so unique. Like it's not something that I ever would have thought could exist. But like like the dreams of a Cerberus in the night, it has been brought into reality. Yeah. And I'm so glad for it. I do have a confession. When I first read the outline for this, my brain didn't go to Cerberus. It went to Centaur. And I was like, what is a half centaur? Is that just a human? Is that just a horse? <laughs> No, it's it's a human, but just like there's no horse back. It's just the front horse. It's like a truncated horse with two legs on the bottom. <laughs> it's like that meme, where do you put the pants? How does a dog wear pants? <laughs> How does a centaur wear pants? They don't wear pants. That's the point. <laughs> but what if they wanted to? What if there were some like rock and bell bottoms that they really, really, really felt like they could pull off i will be i'll be straight honest with you if i was a centaur and i was gonna put on pants i would only wear pants on the back half see i would only wear pants on the front half like I one would, of those dogs <laughs> that you dress up you, you couldn't do that though how would you get them over like your 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 torso gets in the way where where assless chaps <laughs> i hate that you hate that it works Anyway, I would, no, I would put a belt around my horse waist and wear horse pants only on the back. <laughs> Except I wouldn't wear pants because what if I have to poop? How would I get the pants on? <laughs> There's a reason centaurs don't wear pants. My stomach hurts. <laughs> okay, well, we don't have the... Okay, I'm pulling myself together. We don't have this problem with half Cerberi. No, just dog heads. Just dog heads. And they're great. I like the vibes. Probably wouldn't play one myself, but that's because I don't find dogs hot. Why did you have to make it a furry thing? Because <laughs> I only play sexy races. You know that. I, well, I mean, yeah, I'm the one that just brings the, like, beautiful femboy to the table every single time. But but there's, some, there's something intriguing to me about, like, the, you know, the rule of threes kind of thing. Like, there's a lot of imagery that you could pull with a half Cerberus that I think could be interesting. Like, if you have, like, an id, an ego, and a super ego head. Or, like, see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. See, kind my of brain like just went to one lies, one always tells the truth, and one is an idiot. <laughs> 
which is also great. Like, I just, I think that there's a lot of um, potential, uh, especially, I know I know that it's specifically written that, like, all of the heads speak at the same time and they share one mind, but I do think that, like, if you have a table that allows it and a DM that, like, vibes with it, to have sort of, like, distinctive personalities for each of the heads, I think, could be really fun. Yep, I agree. Some magic we just find spellbinding. Okay, we've got a cantrip this week for spellbinding, um, and arguably one with the hardest name to pronounce, prestidigitation. I even hesitated just then saying it. <laughs> I was going to say, you uh, just knocked it out of the park. Oh, thank you. Uh, here is the language of the spell. This spell is a minor magical trick that novice spellcasters use for practice. You create one of the following magical effects within range. You create an instantaneous harmless sensory effect such as a shower of sparks, a puff of wind, faint musical notes, or an odd odor. You instantaneously light or snuff out a candle, torch, or a small campfire. You instantaneously clean or soil an object no larger than one cubic foot. You chill, warm, or flavor up to one cubic foot of non-living material for one hour. You make a color, a small mark, or a symbol appear on an object or surface for one hour. You create a non-magical trinket or an illusory image that can fit in your hand and that lasts until the end of your next turn. If you cast this spell multiple times, you can have up to three of its non-instantaneous effects active at a time, and you can dismiss such an effect as an action. Uh, so there's something about prestidigitation that just like... <laughs> I love and I hate so much is how specific all of these examples are and it like and for what you know like like it really does feel like these are the limits of the spell and so anything within these limits is something that you can do but it's like what what makes this cantrip different from minor illusion specifically but like illusion spells in general mm. yeah I think it's interesting because like I don't think I've had the patience to read through this description in full the whole time I've started playing D&D &D. I basically get to or odd odor and start laughing and move on <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> a fart smell yeah pretty much there is so much you can do with this spell but like I guess for me my question is what is the common denominator like I I will almost always pick thaumaturgy over prestidigitation but they have very different flavor for a lot of the same effects like snuffing out a torch or that kind of thing I don't know like thaumaturgy feels like there's a theme to it that I know very specifically and so like I tend to vibe with it more like I know you know it's about being dramatic right like it's about you know creating weird atmosphere prestidigitation is like what does it do <laughs> exactly that's the thing about it is it's like i tend to opt for minor illusion over prestidigitation for that same reason that you pick thaumaturgies it's like I, it just makes more sense to me like i vibe with it more but ostensibly like thaumaturgy can interact with the environment in the like snuffing out a candle you know slamming a window open or closed way but minor illusion can't you know like you you can't clean things with with minor illusion but it's like that that is the one thing that i consistently see prestidigitation used for is cleaning cleaning it's such a good cantrip for that which is so funny to me because it's like why do you care you know but i do care i care a lot like when my characters get dirty i'm like damn i wish i'd taken prestidigitation <laughs> I think I we're at like three now true. for all of us yeah. having trouble with this word. I, I I even like can't remember what I was gonna say. Oh, like I where I've been like, damn, I should have taken prestid <laughs> <laughs> 
far. <laughs> I should have taken that cantrip because I don't want to be dirty. And it's like, this is a fake person in an imaginary world where like there are literally no ill effects for being dirty, except for maybe someone might give you a look depending on your DM. Like, <laughs> Why do I want to be clean? I don't know, but it matters to me. It's interesting though, because there are a couple very specific uses of prestidigitation that I think are absolutely fucking genius. Particularly, I want to shout out a good friend of mine, Kate, who has a sorcerer who this is like this plus shape water is like beautiful wonderful she does amazing things with this and one thing that they do is that they tend to use these cantrips for not their intended purposes but absolutely within the parameters of their spell like someone was trying to grab a whole bunch of blood uh for nefarious purposes and they use prestidigitation to clean it up so that they couldn't get it and it changed the whole battle it was it was a very very <laughs> that I, I as the dm who ran that battle that swung that whole pendulum a completely different direction i was like oh oh you prestidigitate the bucket <laughs> okay like it incredible like looking that. at the spell you don't go yeah i could use this in battle and fuck up a dm's plan but absolutely she did <laughs> Like yeah, you go, oh, that bucket's dirty, full of blood, cleaning it. Mm-hmm. It's great. So I mean, there's there's a good use for you know what use does it serve in game? Are there are there any others that we can come up with? I think I think I am limited by my own uh, bias when it comes to prestidigitation. The cantrip, this particular cantrip. I am I I I I I want to love it, but every time I take it, I'm like, I should have just taken minor illusion instead. <laughs> Hmm. Yeah, for me, I'm like, I like thaumaturgy. Like, there are certain things where I'm just like, oh, man, like, I wish I had thaumaturgy. And, like, it's not anything demonstrable. Like, I, one thing that I like about prestidigitation is that it has very practical use, if that makes sense. Like, it's very material in a way that I think thaumaturgy or minor illusion isn't, where it's like, oh, yeah, like, it cleans, like, there, it creates a taste or a smell or, like, sensory effect that's not sight or hearing which I think yeah minor illusion is limited to right so it can be very useful but like I think it has to be in the right hands like I just feel like I don't understand the spell well enough to use it to its full capacity I I would agree with that for myself as well I think I think it is what it purports to be though like it really does feel like that kind of spell that you know a a young new brand new baby wizard like practicing magic learns to be like and now I'm practicing my symbology and you just ting 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 oh let me clean my you know master's clothes like it Mm -hmm. it 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 makes sense I think flavor wise it's it's right on track it's just not my flavor I think there's an interesting vibe to it where like for me I'm just like "Mm, like I know this actually does things but like it feels like hokey pokey magician to me and I want to be a real magic user which is dumb Yeah. I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, I do too. But I, it is one that I tend to pass over. Agreed. Underappreciated by us, specifically. Under- <laughs> exactly. All right, Olivia, what do you have for inspiration today? Um, I was going to bring one in, but then another thing happened, and it's very relevant to the topic of the week, so I'm going to talk about it. I, for the first time, actually cried in-game this week. <laughs> like, legitimately, like... <laughs> I laughed because it was my doing. <laughs> it was all your fault. And it was the first time that that had really happened. Like, I had 
come close to crying in character before and like but like it physically hurt me to not just break out sobbing like my character was doing I inhabited that so fully that it just like I was broken like I needed a minute and it was like it was a totally different experience from before where you know almost crying in game some of it was in character most of it wasn't this was fully in character and it felt really good to do that like it felt like I don't know I I felt so involved and in touch with the game and the players and the DM like and I felt so safe too doing that like there was no judgment like if I like had to take a minute before I could actually say anything that's okay and it just felt really good to be in that sort of environment and to be with these people and to be with these characters as well and to like sort of live with them together like that and to know how far both I and this character have come in like the what two years we've played them. I think that there's a very nice uh, energy that's shared between people at a table. That's very special. I like it. Definitely. Oh, wait, we're not done yet. Why? You should follow us on Twitter. Oh. <laughs> wait, I got to look up our handle because I don't know it. <laughs> it's it's at nat20somethings, but it's abbreviated weird because Twitter has a weird character limit. So yeah, we have a Twitter. It doesn't look official or anything. There may be memes that get posted later. I may post some of the goofs and outtakes and stuff from there because there are some very great ones. Oh, you should do that. That's fun. Right? Okay. So our Twitter handle is at nat20somethings. So that is N-A-T-2-0-S-M-T-H-S. Smithens. <laughs> pretend you're idk my bff jill while you're spelling it and you should get there (laughs) that's not how this works that's not how any of this works but yeah yeah follow us on twitter just say hi um eventually you know if there are people out there we want to know it but if not we're happy to speak into the void forever that's fine i'm not (laughs) (laughs) i stare into the void and the void does not stare back and it makes me feel very (laughs) self-conscious Anyway, yeah, follow us on Twitter. Have fun. Thank you, dear listener, for lending your ears. May the stories you tell be grand and humble in equal measure. May the characters you meet be brimming with adventure. And may the chances you take lead to some natural 20s. (laughs) 